Morning. Yeah. Um, this evening is your last opportunity to see the uh, one X up in the black box. Uh, Margaret and I saw them on Thursday, and uh, they're good. You need to. You need to. We're coming again tonight, as a matter of fact. So uh, I encourage you to come. This is a special day. Um, a number of you are aware of the fact that uh, this is uh, Pastor Bruce Coble's uh, last Sunday with us as the missions pastor here at, uh, here at uh, Spring House. And um, Bruce met with me a couple of months ago, and he said, nothing, nothing special, just, just pray for Jill and I, nothing, just, just pray for Jill and I. And I said, no. Uh, I said, you know, Bruce, it's really about people wanting to say thank you and, uh, and everything. But I knew what Bruce was saying, and I've known Bruce for 40 years. So, uh, you know, I knew a lot of things that was, was going, through his, going through his mind and his heart. Uh, but as I thought about what, what we would do this Sunday, I mean, when I think of Bruce, there was no question what the sermon needed to be about today. Uh, discipleship. Uh, first of all, there was also no question that I wouldn't give it to Bruce because he would never say a word about himself. And, you know, I'm sorry, Bruce, but some people are going to say some words about you today. And, uh, and, and they're pretty good ones, uh, cause I've heard some of them. And, uh, but anyway, would you stand with me and let's, uh, let's read a passage of scripture that I think applies here. Maybe it'd help if I turn this thing on. Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that your word is alive. And I thank you, Father, that you make your word alive in us. And through us. And, and Lord, I pray that, I pray that the Holy Spirit would anoint the things that are said today. And Father, you know, and, and, and I know that this isn't about Bruce, but what a wonderful object lesson he is, Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, Margaret and I got married in 1976. We both felt like we were supposed to go to this place called the Lord's Chapel. And so, uh, let's see, we got married on that. Uh, October the 17th, 1976 was our first Sunday at the Lord's Chapel. And uh, we've been acquainted with Bruce ever since then. Uh, we didn't really know him. We were just acquainted with him. He was one of the elders who came down and prayed with people and stuff like that. The next year, we began to work with the youth in October of 1977. Uh, the youth pastor had been on to us for almost a year to, to work with the youth. And uh, and we knew Bruce. We, we went to one or two uh, youth meetings. And we saw Bruce because he was the guy who would sit in the back, holding up the back wall, and sit back there with the troublemakers. And I, I came to find out later on that the reason that he did that was the guy who was the youth pastor. And this is so Bruce. He was, you know, I sit back there with them because I don't want Mike to have to be the disciplinarian. Because that wasn't Mike's strong suit, you know. Bruce was big. <laughs> And he could sit back there with them, and they just sort of behaved, uh, strangely enough, when Bruce was around. Uh, anyway, um, 
one month after we started working with the youth, Mike announced that he was going to be leaving the Lord's Chapel, and this guy named Bruce Cobalt was going to become the youth pastor. And uh, there, there, there is the man himself in all of his glory in those days. Uh, there are other, some other faces that you might recognize uh, in that, some of those of you who've been here for a little while. Here's the thing. When Bruce took over the youth, uh, this guy named Mike Nelson had been, the, had been the youth pastor. And some of you have heard this story before, but Mike was a fabulous teacher and he was a teen magnet. I mean, he just absolutely was. And we had about 75 or 80 kids that was coming uh, when Bruce took over in November. Uh, I remember the last meeting of December of that year, we had eight. And you kind of go, well, you know, that, are, you, are you saying something good about Bruce here? Yes, I am. Wait a minute. Because, see, the first, I, re, I remember the first youth meeting you led, Bruce. Uh, I remember exactly where it was. It was in that house that Mike and Jody had been living in. I was sitting in the doorway between the living room and the, and, and the kitchen. Uh, there was no furniture. Everybody was sitting on the floor. And Bruce had chosen a passage of Scripture from some obscure minor prophet and and taught on it for about 40 minutes. This, that wasn't Mike's style at all. And I, and I was going, oh my goodness. And you know, Bruce has become a very, very good teacher, but none of us start out really good. Uh, and anyway, so, you know, the youth group kind of went down, but here's the thing by next fall, we were back at 75 or 80 or even more. Wasn't just the same kids and and the reason why, in fact, I think this may have even been that summer when we went uh, on, on, uh, down to Florida for a service project. Uh, the reason why was a couple things. One, the kids had learned that Bruce loved them. Loved them. And they had learned that they could absolutely count on anything he told them. If he said, we're going to do this, it happened. Uh, now, there are three things. There's more than three things, but there are three things that I learned from hanging out with Bruce. And by the way, that's how discipleship happens. We kind of have the idea nowadays that discipleship is, is, has about teaching. Teaching is about this much of discipleship. Living with somebody and walking with them is the rest of it. And a lot of people think they're being discipled today because you know, they, they listen to somebody's podcast or they watch some, you know, talking head on television or something like that. But John in, in first John says that which we have seen with our eyes, which we have touched and our hands have handled this we bring to you concerning the word of life. And so being with Bruce, there are a number of things that I learned over the years. And it wasn't like he sat down and went, now, let me teach you about this, Ronnie. No, he lived it. And I got to be a part of walking along with it. And so did some others you're going to hear from in a minute. Uh, three things, two I'm going to share right now, one I'll share at the end. One of them was that uh, it's not about the numbers at all. You see, the Bruce who taught the first Sunday after, I mean, the first uh, youth group after Mike, now boy, I would have been intimidated out of my mind to follow Mike. But the Bruce who taught the first youth group after Mike left, and the Bruce who taught eight kids on that last night of the of meeting of the year, and the Bruce who taught that fall that had, you know, another 80 or 100 kids coming was the same guy every time. Didn't matter. Didn't, didn't matter if, there, if, there, if there's five or if there's 50. Same guy. 
pouring the same stuff into, into those kids. And that, that was one of the first things that I learned about discipleship. You know, we're in, we're in a culture where we, uh, where we kind of think like, you know, man, you got to have bigger numbers and it's got to keep growing and you got to have more and more and more. Well, it didn't work. That wasn't the way it worked with Gideon. And Jesus didn't feel like it had to be that way in his ministry either. So I learned that. And, and another thing that I learned uh, from Bruce was keep your word. Keep your word. Uh, we never called off an event for lack of participation. We never called off an event because we got a better offer. Something else came up somewhere. The kids learned if, that if Bruce said, we're going to do this, they could come. And if, if 50 kids showed up, that was great. If three kids showed up, boy, those three kids got some really special treatment. It was going to happen for them. Uh, and so, you know, some people, and I'm not saying you never punt. I mean, sometimes you have to punt. You know, it's not like, you know, every time I make a wrong decision, I stick with it. But, but what I'm saying is when you, make, when, you, when you give your word about something, you do it. And that's what Bruce lived in front of me for, well, has lived in front of me for 40 years. And I'm not the only one. I, I've, I've asked a couple of guys to come and share this morning that, uh, that Bruce poured into a lot at the Lord's Chapel. I'd like you to know a little bit about the fruit that has been produced in his life. And uh, the first one is a guy, I, I said in the first service, I can't bring myself to say Robert. So Robbie Stoffel from Decatur, Alabama, Pastor Stoffel, would you welcome him this morning? I want you to know that I never, ever wanted to meet Bruce Coble in my life. I didn't want anything to do with this man. But he stood in the way of me dating this one girl, this beautiful girl, this cheerleader at Franklin High School. And I was the druggie, the kid that hung out in the back and smoked cigarettes and weed. And I don't know how I landed her, but I did. And I was like the guy that you don't want your daughter to bring home. And she brought me home. And we're still together 35 years later And I had a problem. It was a big problem. I went to the Lord's Chapel because that's what you do when you bring home a lost boyfriend. You take him to church. And Ronnie Meek, when I walked in, was doing a high-hurdle Jewish dance of some sort, clapping his hands and kicking his legs. And people had their arms raised, and, and they were speaking in other languages. And I was thinking, where in the world have I landed? These people are nuts. I wanted to get away from them and never have anything else to do with them. But I had a problem. I was in love. And her mother, behind my back, I think they were scamming against me. Jill went off to uh, Barber College in Murfreesboro, and Bruce was teaching a Bible study in Murfreesboro. And Jill's mother said, uh, you need to go with Bruce to this Bible study. And I knew I had to do it. And she wanted me to park my 1967 Firebird at Walmart. You don't park a car like that at Walmart. You don't get anywhere near Walmart. <laughs> but I was in love. I had a problem. And he came and he picked me up and uh, got in the car with Bruce. And he warmed me up. He talked about dealerships, about hot rods. He knows a lot about cars. And then he started that pun talking stuff. 
And when you're on drugs, you don't follow the puns talking. I mean, it just doesn't go anywhere. And I'm thinking to myself, I got to get out of this car. What am I doing? And I was with him for 45 minutes there and 45 minutes back. And then he started talking about the Lord like he was in the back seat or something. The Lord, he said, the Lord, the Lord. I thought, oh, my gosh. And then he picked up a hitchhiker and started the Lord stuff with the hitchhiker. And the hitchhiker wanted out. He didn't want to go any further than he thought he was going to go, and he wanted out. And I was thinking to myself, I want out too. But I had a problem. I had a girl that I was in love with. And then I found out it got worse because Patty Whitehurst, Jill's mother, said, you're going to go with him every Tuesday night to Murfreesboro. I was just planning on doing one. One and out. For six months, I was trapped in the car with Bruce Coble. And then he started talking about the love of the Lord. Oh, wait, wait. The love of the Lord, he said. Robbie, the love of the Lord. And I thought, the love of the Lord. And then he had me believing that the Lord could love me, this drug-riddled kid. And I was thinking to myself, the Lord's not ever going to love me, Bruce. But he changed me. Because here's the thing about discipleship. Discipleship is the art of writing the love of Christ on the heart. Discipleship is the art of writing the love of Christ on the heart. You never fix anybody, ever. He never sat me down and said, all right, you got to fix this. He's the only person I know that if I put a resume down, he could fill out every job job I've ever had. You know why? Because he came and had lunch with me multiple times, and I would sit in the car with him in the parking lot, wouldn't we, Bruce, and have a sandwich. He would tell me about the love of Christ. And here's the scripture I want to share with you. I'll come back to that one. You show that you are a letter from, from Christ. The result of our ministry, Bruce Coble, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Discipleship is the art of writing the love of Christ on the heart. And Bruce Coble is a genius at doing that because you don't even know he's doing it. Six months you go, man, I've got love of Christ in my eight, and you just don't even know it, and you know you've been scammed. <laughs> How did he do this? I just don't understand it. But discipleship is also the work of the Holy Spirit. If you want to put ink on a heart, you can put it on a heart, but it doesn't put the Holy Spirit on the heart. Charles Feynman tells a story about Charles Steinmetz, who was a genius General Electric engineer. And after he retired, uh, the engineers couldn't fix this complex piece of machinery, and so they called Charles back in. And so he came in, and he walked all around the the complex of machines, and he got out a a piece of chalk, and he put a, a cross on it, and the engineers tore the complex machines down, and that's exactly where it was broken. And a few days later, they got a, a bill from him, and it was for $10,000, which was a staggering sum when it was in the turn of the 20th century. And so they sent, said, you got to itemize this, Charles. And so he sent back the bill, and he said, putting a chalk mark, a dollar. Knowing where to put it, $9,999. Bruce taught me this about discipleship. You don't ever fix anybody. 
but you must put the cross on the heart. And the way you do this is that you show up in those important moments of life. And there he is at my MTSU graduation. I told him I was going to go to, um, to school, and, you know, Bruce, he said, I'm going to tell you, it's, it's going to be hard. You're going to have to work. You know Bruce. So I had to take a test to get in, and, and I flunked. For a year and a half, I had to take developmental classes just so I could get into MTSU. Basic writing. I couldn't read. I couldn't write a paragraph. I had basic math, adding, subtraction. I was just, I was, I was a mess. Bruce said, you can do it. I got my degree in psychology. I've now published 10 books. I think we have some picture of them. David C. Cook published those two. Zondervan translated them into Spanish. All because I got in the car with Bruce Coble, who told me that it is possible. It is possible for you no matter where you come from. If you show up in somebody's life and you tell them about the love of Christ, you do the art of discipleship, it changes people. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that does it. And Bruce is a master at that. He gets out of the way. I now have a, a master's in creative writing. And I guarantee you, when I stepped in that car with Bruce Coble in the parking lot of Walmart, I never once, not once, thought I'd become a better person. And Bruce is the legend in our church because Bruce came in and uh, remodeled the basement. But there was a group of you guys, you were there with him. He's a legend. And Bruce, we want you to know, like 2 Corinthians 3, 3 says, I am your letter, Bruce. I am your letter. And if you're the letter of Bruce Cobus, writing the love of Christ on your heart, stand up today. Stand up. Bruce, this is the result of your ministry. And I love you. I adore you because you wrote on my heart. Thank you, Bruce. God bless you. Would you welcome Pastor John McClendon from God Why in Hendersonville? Okay, and Bruce, I will look at you when I'm done, and not before. <laughs> I know better. I met Bruce when I was 12 years old. Uh, interestingly enough, Ronnie uh, came during the Mike Nelson days, but Bruce actually was uh, wrangling teenagers even before Mike got there. And uh, when I was 12 years old, Bruce had done a retreat. It was actually the retreat when Mike Nelson came and was introduced to us for the first time. But uh, 
so uh, we were, I, I really didn't know him. He just put together this retreat and I showed up. And so uh, the first night we were a little rowdy. And uh, after a couple of times coming in trying to cure that, he discerned I was the problem. <laughs> and so when he entered the room the next time, he didn't say a word. He just walked in, grabbed my sleeping bag by the feet, and started walking with me dragging behind him. And he walked all the way back to his, to his bed he pulled me right up beside his bed, let go, got in bed, and never said a word. <laughs> and I didn't either. <laughs> and from that moment forward, he began discipling me, the word for today. He began showing me what a man of God looks like. Now, my dad... Uh, he, he had a, a, a number of admirable traits, but my dad didn't know the Lord, and uh, my dad struggled with alcohol. And as a result, he wasn't capable of showing me what a godly man looks like. And Bruce became my spiritual father. Because of my dad's struggles, he missed my graduations, he didn't make my wedding, but Bruce didn't miss any of them. When I graduated, uh, I went to Fuller Theological Seminary uh, out in Pasadena, California to get my master's in theology, and Bruce flew out there so that he could be there for me. Now, I want to share with you Oh, uh, Ronnie said to say something about kind of where we came from. So I'm trying to be obedient, right? <laughs> trying to learn. But uh, uh, my church is called God Why, which is kind of an odd name. Uh, and uh, what uh, after being mentored uh, for quite a while, when I wanted to create a church that reached people that truly had no desire to go to church. And so the brainchild behind that was uh, we put together a website, godwhy.com, and we did this mass marketing in, our, in Hendersonville and said, if you'll submit the questions that keep you from faith, we'll build services to answer your questions. And God Why was born. I was trying to get anybody in the world to support us, to try to help us get this fledgling idea off the ground. And we went to every pastor we had ever met, and we shared our vision and, and went through all the other things. And after going to, you know, probably 30, 45 different connections from my ministry world, one church sponsored us for the first year out of their missions budget. Springhouse. Only one. Give yourselves a hand. The only ones that were willing to believe in us. We've had a little, uh, between eight and 900 people give their life to Christ over the last 17 years. During that time, we've averaged between, somewhere between 64 and 78% of the people that attend with us didn't go to church before they showed up there, because that's what we do. And uh, it's, it's a little crazy, it's a little radical, but uh, we believe that somebody needs to be doing something close to what we're doing. Uh, not everybody. I believe other churches need to be doing other things, because there's a whole lot of variety of people in the, 
in the kingdom of God. But I wouldn't, I'm like Robbie. I mean, I'm going, you know, I am a, I'm a disciple of this man. And I thought what three or a couple of things, it came, it came out to be three things. What I want to talk about, Bruce, and the first one was, and Ronnie's already hit on this, a model of integrity, a model of integrity. Now, Ronnie talked about Mike Nelson, who was, when he would speak, we would hang on every word. And Brother Moore, my pastor, I've said, if I had to choose between being in, under his ministry for those years or my two degrees in biblical studies and a master's in theology, I would have chosen Brother Moore over any of them because he taught me the love of God. I respect those men to this day with every fiber of my being. But the first thing that I want to share with us is this. I had someone say to me, he goes, the tragedy in life is that most of the people that you admire and you respect, if you really, really, really get close and know everything about their life, you end up getting discouraged over certain things. And that was the truth in those two relationships. I still love them with all my heart. They were great, but they just had some blind spots they were never able to really come to grips with. And in Bruce, I've been with him for 45 years and I've yet to go. There's something that disappointed me about that relationship. Man, the integrity and the model that he showed challenged me and said, this is what a man of God looks like. And it wasn't that the other guys weren't men of God. They were, and I loved them. But I'm telling you folks, in your life, in my life, walking with that integrity takes a lot of work. And it takes a lot of humility, and it takes a lot of maturity to get there. And this is the Paul Harvey moment. The rest of the story. The guy that made that statement made that statement to someone I was trying to hire in ministry. And he went to a guy that had worked for me previously for nine years, and he said, if you had it all over to do over again, would you go back and work for Pastor John? And he said, well, let me say it this way. Almost every person I've ever respected, if I got to know them long enough... I saw some things that I never would have guessed, you know, and they discouraged me a little bit. He goes, in nine years, I never saw anything that discouraged me. The greatest compliment of my entire life. And let me tell you, never would have happened, ever. You, all you got to do is hang out with me for a little while, and you know I'm not perfect, Bruce isn't perfect. But that man modeled to me, this is how a man of God behaves. And when there's something there, you confess it, you repent. There's a standing law among my staff. If you ever walk behind my back and make an excuse for an attitude or an action in my life, I will fire you. You better come up and tell me. You better love me enough to say, 
this is where you are. Because when I watched that man live, I said, I've got to be that character. I've got to walk with that heart and that integrity. And it is not my nature to do that. The second thing that he did that empowered me was he supported leaders. Now, let me tell you, looking around the room, very, very, very small portion are going to be at the top of any org chart. Okay? (laughs) Very small group of people are going to be at the top of the org chart. In Bruce's entire ministry, there have been a few times that he has been, you know, kind of there, but mostly Bruce has supported missionaries. He has supported pastors. He supported me. When, he, when I first got into ministry, he encouraged and supported. And when you hear Robbie's story, when you hear my story, none of it would have happened if there hadn't been a godly man that said, I don't have to be at the top of the org chart. I will lead from the middle. I will show integrity. I will call them to accountability, and I will see them become the best that they could be. Bruce did that for Baba Goody over... Overseas, he's done that for Ronnie and for the ministry here. He did that for me. He did that for Robbie. Guess what? It's available to every one of you sitting in this room. If you've been inspired by him, be like him. Lead from the middle. Encourage, man. Stand behind some people. There's this passage, it's amazing. It said, If you give so much as a cup of cool water in Jesus' name, because you recognize that this person is worthy, you know, a prophet or whatnot. He goes, you'll get a prophet's reward right along with them. Because he understood how invaluable it is to have a godly man or a godly woman stand and encourage and walk with people. And the second thing that I learned is I want to be that person. And Bruce showed that to me. The third one is this. We live in a world that's a mess. And I want to read this passage to you real quick. Matthew 7, 24 says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man or woman who built their house on a rock. And the rains came down and the storms rose and the wind blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on a rock. Let me tell you what, Bruce is a wise man. And he built his house on a rock, but when he figured out that worked, He only has one message if you ever come to him for anything in your life. And that is, you got to get your foundation on the rock. Now, let me tell you something about storms. Folks, I work with a crowd of people who most of them are still trying to figure out if they even believe the Bible is the Word of God. And in the middle of that, everybody wants to talk about their storm. Hello? My storm's worse than yours. You wouldn't believe the billows I've got. Man, the lightning strike. All we want to do is talk about our storm. We want to, and part of the whole thing in counseling is to help people come to grips with their storm, right? You know, and walk with them in their storm and understand their storm. And, you know, and, and, and we got all this. And there's a time and a place for all of that. But let me tell you what Bruce will tell you, listen. There is a rock. And if you'll get that under you as your foundation, your storm ain't going to be a big deal anymore. And in the middle of a lot of people trying to talk about their storms, Bruce would always just look at him and go, anyone who hears the Word of God and puts it into practice will be like a wise person who 
set on a rock, and the gates of hell won't prevail against that. The storm will have no dominion over that. And he led me back to the rock again and again and again. We all know the story. As long as Peter had his eyes on Jesus, the rock, he was fine. Didn't matter how big the storm was. When he got his eyes on the storm, then he started sinking and freaked out. Bruce, for my whole life, has led me to the rock. He goes, I know your storms. I know you got a lot of stuff, but here's the rock. As we sit here today, part of this is to honor my spiritual father. Because I am the man that I am because he loved me. I'm far from perfect. But I can't imagine, as Robbie said, who I would be if I didn't have him showing me what a godly man looks like. Showing me that integrity and causing me to go, I cannot fall short of that. I, I cannot let that pass by. That lesson is too valuable. And when I've seen him support and encourage and bless and take over weary and provide housing for missionaries that probably would have retired in poverty and supported and encouraged and blessed, I go, that's a godly man. I want to be like that. And when he keeps pointing people back to the rock, even though he cares about your storm, he gave them the most valuable gift they could. He gave them something that would not fail them. So if you're here, I just encourage you, man, let his life inspire you the way it's inspired ours. We love you. I was, uh, was going to say the third thing really that I learned from Bruce was something he said a couple of years after he came on here, which was when people come to me, all I have to give them is, is the word. Yeah, and it, it it resonated with me, and I it was something that I knew, but it was something that you know would not leave, and it was kind of like anything else I've got is just my opinion, anything else I've got is just my ideas. But if I give them the word, then they've got something to stand on. And I know Bruce probably shuddered when he saw me bring a a bag out here. Uh, and we went, oh no, he's going to make me come up there, and he's got something in that bag. Yeah, I do. Uh, and I am, yeah. Uh, Jill, would you drag him up here? Uh, <laughs> Yeah. No video. You didn't want a video. No video. There's no video. You can be seated. Um, This is the word. Give everyone what you owe them. Taxes, pay taxes, revenue, revenue, respect, and respect. If honor, then honor. And, yeah, you're worthy of honor. Uh, You have literally gone and made disciples, maybe not in every nation, but in a whole bunch of them. 
and the disciples you've made have gone into other nations and made disciples. Uh, and you're not done. No. I mean, he's, yeah. Uh, I don't want this to be a funeral. <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd. No. Uh, no, he's, he's not. Uh, virtually every missions organization Bruce has ever been with has gone, hey, why don't you come work with us? You know, so it's not a matter of can we find something to do. It's a matter of, you know, which, what is it? Uh, we do have something for you. This I'm going to give to Jill because you just give it to her anyway. Uh, last week I mentioned that some people are called to wear uh, shoelaces that yell, look at me, and other people are called to wear Wingtips, uh, and I, 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 so Mario uh, came up with a couple of uh, Johnson and Murphy, and, and for those of you who don't know what a wingtip is, it's not a buffalo wild wings. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Do you want to say anything? Um, the only reason that I live the way I do live is because Jesus Christ changed my life. <laughs> Gave me hope. I have found Christ to be faithful. I have found his word to be true. And that would be the message I would share with you. You can trust God through Jesus Christ. You can take his word and take it literally as much as you can and live it. It works. And so that's why I could look at somebody in a 67 Firebird that should have had a blower on it and a turbine. And I knew that uh, God loved Robbie more than I did. And he had a plan for his life. And I've thought that about every person I've ever met, that God cared that much. So I would encourage you to yield to the faithfulness of God and see what he'll do. It works. And I do want to thank Ronnie. He's the one that gave me the job 28 years ago. Ronnie gave me the opportunity to be able to share Christ here. He gave me the opportunity to meet you all. Of course, I want to thank Jill, and I want to thank Jess, my daughter, because um, we were busy people <laughs> many times. Um, and thank all of you. Um, you're the ones that had to come to class. <laughs> you're the ones that chose to spend all your money and, and go on a mission trip and then be wild enough to go back again. And many times I just went with you, and we did it together. So I'm a thankful person. Um, and... I um, We were talking in Sunday school class, and they talked about treasure in heaven, and I believe that, even though I don't know exactly what all that will be. Um, but I don't plan to leave any treasure here, because the treasure is you. And I've worked so we can go together to our Lord. So, And that's something I can do something about. The rest of it here on earth I can't do much about. But I can sure do something about you who is the treasure and to talk about Christ. And so I'm looking forward to eternity. Um, I hope I'm not in the batter's box quite yet. 
<laughs> but um, so I just want to say thank you for all of you um, because everybody's been very kind to me here over the years. And uh, Ronnie's just, he basically gave me a job and turned me loose. And I'm very thankful for that. Uh, and so, so thank you. It's been, a, it's been a two-way street for me being here. So trust him. Amen. Just trust him. Would the, uh, would the elders that we have here and their wives and then you four, you all want to come and we're going to pray over Bruce and Jill and the rest of you remain standing and just, uh, just stretch your hands out here. Okay, anybody who wants to come can come. <laughs> yeah. Father, I thank you so much for your grace. And I thank you, Father, for those <laughs> that you put into our lives through whom you pour special grace to us. And <laughs> what a wonderful example Bruce and Jill are of that. But Lord... Uh, as Bruce was saying, this isn't a, this isn't a, a, a funeral, and uh, this this is just another chapter. This is just another page, and so Lord, I, I do pray for the for the for the calling that you that you still have on them, and I pray for clarity, Lord. I know that there's so much that is open to them to, to be possible to do. I pray that you give them clarity about what they're supposed to do. I pray, Father, this would be a fruitful season. And Lord, I pray that the, that the things that have, that have happened so far, what they've poured into people's lives so far, would just be, would just be a prelude to, uh, to what there is. Father, you, <laughs> you're able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above anything we can think or ask. And that's what, I, that's what I ask for Bruce's ministry, that you would just do above anything we can imagine, Lord. And Jill. Because she's a, she's a minister too, Father. And I thank you for them. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, uh, those who are watching your children are uh, wondering where you are at this point. But uh, I'll tell you what. I do want to offer an opportunity for people to be prayed for. So so those who are going to pray for folks, if you'd stay here, it's a special Sunday, but you know what? The enemy doesn't take special Sundays or special weeks off. And if you're here and you need prayer, yeah, feel free to come on down. And somebody besides Wade and Brad are going to be here as well to pray with you. And if you don't need to come worship with us, we're we're going to sing one verse, one chorus. If you need to come, come.